Welcome to Lessons from Earth School, a podcast where we deep dive into real stories of healing and transformation. Stories that resonate with the depths of your soul, that give you a new perspective, and that bring you a feeling of being less alone in the world. Come for the wisdom, stay for the laughs, and leave transformed. After our epic pilgrimage to Egypt, I sat down with Emily Hazel from Spirited Seeker to discuss everything that we learned and the transformations that took place. We both had pretty epic journeys, so enjoy hearing all about them in this episode. A couple of months ago, we started on our adventure to Egypt Mm -hmm. and we got back maybe five weeks ago now, but it feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like it didn't even happen. I know. It, it, It feels totally different to any other holiday or place that I've been to and come back afterwards it just feels it just feels so different every other time I've traveled yep I mean we've got Isis sitting over here our statue sharing some blue lotus spiked cacao with some frankincense essential oil to get us all in the vibes because I had Frankie with me at every temple and yeah it's it's fucking surreal it's surreal that we're both sitting here because we hadn't met before the trip, even though we were only a few blocks away. And so here we are kind of being able to unpack it. And I personally don't think I have done that for myself fully yet. Like how have you found, I guess, quote unquote integration? I know that you stayed longer than me with the intention of integrating, but it actually was like a whole other trip in itself. Since returning to the Gold Coast, we're both, you know, here in this beautiful like playground for living a life of convenience and ease and it's so many worlds removed from Egypt that yeah it just feels like a distant dream yeah it really does and the craziest thing for me with Egypt flying in there was it was just the middle of the desert so flying in it was just so barren and I was like where am I going because I don't think I've ever really been to the desert before in that way and because I live literally at the beach Mm. it's so different just being around water and so much greenery all the time to just going into the middle of the desert and that was such a culture shock for me in itself that yeah so many times what you asked before so many times I've sat down to journal about Egypt to do some integrating to do some thinking about all the things I learned and how I can take that into my everyday life But every time I've done that, it's kind of been, it's almost trying to get this giant inflatable mattress back into this tiny box. It's like. It's still puffed up. Yeah. It's like you can't put it back. It's almost like you can't contain Egypt. You can't contain it in like a box of words. You can't even put words to it. Um, And I know that with Egypt since it, it's kind of like continued down this path of, elevated and escalated self-development and I understand that it was kind of like that for you but do you want to start from the beginning when did your journey to Egypt really begin starting starting from the beginning (laughs) yeah 
I initially wanted to be on last year's trip, which was Lara's first pilgrimage that she ran. Her and I met in Bali in May of 2022 and we did a photo shoot together. She shot me through this big evolution that I was going through in my own brand and business and really coming into this like new white wealth identity that I was claiming. And obviously this was a big expense to go to Egypt, just the flights in itself, that the trip, it's, it's huge. It's a lot. And last year, you know, I was so caught up in this like expanding, ever increasing quantum leaping cash, like mode of the coaching industry that I really wanted it to happen. I mm. was willing it to happen because I think the trip was also September last year. And so I kind of made my promises, like I will be on that trip. And then of course, what actually happened is that my Saturn return crushed me. <laughs> This podcast is called Survive Saturn Return for a reason mm. because those lessons for me were around like my financial revolution and where I was placing my values and my energy. And so I had to surrender that the trip wasn't going to happen for me last year, but I had already got my yes and it was a yes I could sustain. I knew that if it wasn't this one, it was going to be the next one. And then if it wasn't that one, it was going to be the next one. I was always going to go with Lara as the guide. And I was actually working with, you and I have both worked with uh, Aisha Durrani of Oath Oracle. And Lara shared with me that, that Aisha would be on this trip as well this mm. year. So that was like my extra little, okay, it's safe to chill and know that this timing is something I can't control because there is an intelligence of, of Egypt itself that it's preparing me to go through all this stuff so that I can actually be in resonance with the land and resonance with the temples instead of me just like bulldogging myself there prematurely. And, you know, similarly with my trip to Uluru, um, I tried to go to Uluru four times through my 20s, like flights cancelled, flights delayed, whole trips cancelled, borders closing, like it just wasn't happening until it was absolutely time to happen, which was last year. So I knew that Egypt was working me for a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I gave my yes financially with my deposit in February. I was sitting in a room alone that I was staying in. I was, had this beautiful studio uh, in interior British Columbia, Canada, earlier this year for two months. And it was snowing outside. We were having a blizzard. It was minus 19. And I was chatting with Lara about the trip when I you know, handed over my deposit and again, worlds uh, beyond, you know, being in the mountains, being around the pine trees and the snow and then trying to tap into Egypt. It was like, does this place even exist? Mm. And it's been, oh my gosh, like what a year of just stripping back so much, what I would say the most part, spiritual dogma that I've collected and gathered through my 20s that I'm ready to be done with. And yeah, Egypt made it hard. Like it wasn't an easy route. I had to fight for this trip. I had to choose it over and over. I had to rely on the support of the group, the support of Lara, the facilitator to keep bringing me back into the belief that it could happen because travel for me, my whole life has been, I want to go cool. I'll make it happen. Like, mm -hmm. Even if there's no money, I find the money, I create the money. And this time <laughs> Egypt was like a whole other rite of passage into maturation mm. for me. 
like even getting there was an initiation for you. Yeah. Mm. It, it's, I mean, three weeks beforehand, the flights were still not booked. I wasn't mm. sure that I was coming. I, I owed like the last little bit and and life and business and things were crunchy and weird. And um, I, I wasn't sure if I was fully choosing it because, you know, in quote unquote the work, there's this whole like, oh, if it's not happening with ease, then you should let it go. And I was just wondering how much of myself was fighting against, against like if Egypt even wanted me to come. You know, mm. I was over personifying it all and, and over analyzing it all, being like, what part of the work should I be doing right now? Like, should I let this go completely? And what I found was that I didn't need to let go of the vision or the desire. I needed to let go of my like insane energy around it which was forceful and urgent and then of course you know the money came through the clients came through like every fucking time I tell myself one of those stories I'm like look at all the evidence Mm -hmm. where this has happened in the past when you actually just loosen the reins and and just fucking open girl like just soften a little bit Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I had a similar situation recently where I just kind of spiraled myself into such a deep, dark place that I didn't know like how I was going to get out. And I was like, nothing ever works out for me. Everything's always so hard. Like it's easy for everyone else, but not me. And I just really got into this victim mode and I was giving my power away to everything else. Mm. And it's only recently that I kind of started reclaiming that back and remembering, oh, my gosh, everything I've ever wanted in my life, I have manifested, I have brought into my reality. And, yeah, just reminding yourself with that evidence of when you've done it in the past because life does rock you. And I feel like like my Saturn return was brutal as well and, yeah, it just spat me out a completely different person on the other mm. side. But, yeah, Egypt was a really big initiation for me as well and my journey to Egypt pretty much started when I paid the deposit as well because all my money stuff was coming up mm-hmm. and as soon as I paid that then something else kept, like really significant came up and it was kind of at that moment where I decided I would start channeling my future self and my future self doesn't make decisions as to whether I can afford something or not because I can. Of course I can. I, I even had the money in my savings, but my scarcity mentality was still asking me to make this decision from a place of scarcity And then I realized that my future self wasn't making decisions from that place. She was asking the question, do I want this? Yes or no? Mm. That's the question. If it's a full body, yes, then I'll make it happen. And if it's not, then it's not for me. And I just got really kind of fed up with myself asking me this question, asking myself this question of can I afford it? When practically the answer was yes. So it was almost like, am I allowing myself to have this experience? Am I trying to kind of block myself from my own happiness? Am I, Mm. it it kind of came back to this feeling of deservingness. And that was the undercurrent of that question of, can I afford this? Was really, do I deserve it? Mm. And 
it was reframing that question to do I want it, yes or no, which was really honouring myself and not coming from that place of scarcity or that lack of deservingness that I felt and the initiation to do that and keep doing that just came up again and again and again prior to this trip. So that was a big kind of learning learning curve for me. And in that my question, journey. what an amazing reframe to also apply onto. <laughs> I think you and I are journeying parallels in terms of questioning career industries and dating. Mm. That the question becomes, do I even want, like, do I want this? What am I choosing? What is my future self doing rather than am I allowed to have it? You know, do Mm. they like me? Is this going to work? Will my offer sell? Like all these really dumb secondary questions that we make from that scarcity rather Mm. than the place of overflow and and true wealth and inherent abundance. Um, Before we pass go into the deliciousness of Egypt and the descent into that journey, I do ask everybody that comes onto my podcast, which we're double recording this right now, but because it's called Survive, Sat and Return, and most of my guests are older than me, so I can tap into your wisdom and be like, tell me how you did this. (laughs) I'm actually out of mine now, thank goodness, but how did you survive Sat and Return? What was that like for you and what tools and practices or I don't know, what happened? Oh, my God, that's probably a whole three-hour episode in itself, but... I found myself going into my Saturn return in a very abusive relationship. I was experiencing physical abuse, verbal abuse, financial abuse, kind of the whole gambit. And it was also very difficult for me to leave because of the different ways in which I was dependent on this person physically and in other ways. And ultimately what I realized is that what was keeping me feeling trapped was nothing physical. It was kind of this cage that existed in my mind. It was kind of like this emotional cage that I had created, I think originally out of a sense of safety, but it was kind of keeping me tethered to something that my body felt was normalised but was actually very unsafe. And I think that's what kept me in a lot of negative or unhelpful situations was I was just so used to the chaos that it was kind of like my comfort zone because it's like I've dealt with that, I've survived it. And so I know that it kind of it's kind of like your subconscious deems it as therefore safe because you've survived it. It's familiar. Right? Yeah. And it's like I just kept going back to that over and over again until my Saturn return really knocked me and I hit absolute rock bottom. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And because of where I was at the time, I really felt like if I don't stay with this person, there's a real risk I'll be single forever. And it was only at that moment that I felt like I would rather be single for the rest of my life than stay another day in this relationship Mm -hmm. that I could finally leave because it was that kind of emotional blockage that made me feel trapped. It was my own mind making me feel trapped. And, of course, 
leaving was this kind of long-term plan of um took me about six months to implement I had to um find a way to get my own place find a way to financially unhook from this person and stop um depending on them because I was living in a in a place with them that I could not afford to stay by myself so it's not like I could kick them out and afford to continue to pay that rent so that's kind of how we ended up um I ended up feeling stuck or trapped in that way so it was kind of like this multi-pronged process of extracting myself from that relationship and when I finally did that was actually the moment I hit rock bottom because I had never been alone I think really in my adult life from the time I was 15 I was in one long-term relationship after another until I was about 28 and so (laughs) (laughs) and so I just realized at that moment I'm like I feel like I can't exist without another person I feel like literally I'm gonna die on my own and I think that's what was keeping me in these relationships because I felt like they were better than being alone because if I was alone I was going to die for some reason that's what I had in my subconscious and so when I finally exited that relationship I came face to face with my codependency my anxious attachment that had nothing to attach to anymore and so the only thing I could do at that moment was start looking at myself Mm. Uh, the person I had been running away from for 15 years or longer really because the reason I started dating so young was I just wanted to get out of my house because it gave me a reason to get out of my house which at the time was a very kind of toxic environment in itself so I was just so used to that level of chaos and dysregulation that that became normalized for me so my Saturn return was a bit of a process of looking at myself learning to regulate my nervous system learning how to feel safe when I am actually safe learning how to be alone in the world and starting to depend on myself and start to build this healthy interdependency with others and like A lot of people, when I got out of that relationship and I came face to face with my anxious attachment, I swung to the other end of the pendulum and I was super avoidant after that while for for a long time. And that was, you know, five years ago now and I'm only just starting to kind of get the pendulum into that middle ground where I feel not anxious anymore. And being able to raise my standards high enough and keep them high enough, knowing that I'm worthy of that. I'm worthy of someone who treats me with respect. I'm worthy of being in a relationship that's healthy and, you know, beneficial to me, makes lifts me up, makes me feel better. Um, and so that's kind of the lessons that I took coming out of my Saturn return at the other end. But the lessons for me, I think I think the great thing about Saturn Returns is that it's kind of like daddy's home and he's ready to sort the house out. Yeah. And it's like the divine heavenly father, Saturn, is here and said, says, 
oh no, child, you are in, you, you've gone down the wrong path. And it kind of picks you up and places you onto the path that is, one. yeah, that is beneficial for you. And the distance between where you were and where that path is kind of is like the level of difficulty you experience yes. in your Saturn return. And for me, it was worlds apart. It was worlds apart. And so my Saturn return was very brutal, but coming out of it, I was like, thank God I had that wake up call when I did, because it was just getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And it was starting to lead to alcohol dependency on my part and all of these behaviors and just lack of self-care. And so I know it would have spiraled down even further if it kept going. So I'm so grateful to have gone through that and come out the other side for sure. Wow. Well, one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite books, I think I read it 12 times, Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. She says when she's thinking about divorce and leaving and feeling trapped in her marriage that's misaligned, the only thing more scary than leaving was staying. Mm. And I feel like cosmically that's the rite of passage that's a, that Saturn Return gives us. It's like you can stay and that actually becomes way harder, even though it has been more familiar and more comfortable and more well-grooved to like live and choose what you have been choosing. There's this line in the sand and I always say especially to my clients like don't avoid a rock bottom don't try to save someone out of their rock bottom don't Mm -hmm. enable them to just hover above their rock bottom because it's it's the most loving thing that actually can happen and truly awakens us into that new path of leaving to find to find something else more aligned right and it's Mm. painful and weird and like glorious and messy and my friend Jules calls it brutal, mm. brutal and beautiful. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. Gives us gives us some hope for those that are either coming into their sad return or, you know, in the messy middle of it or even just freshly emerging from it like I am, that there's this, like, hope that so much actually transpired and transformed, even if mm. I'm not yet seeing the physical manifestation of it. It's like, shit's happening, mm. yes or yes. So, all right, let's go there. Let's go into Egypt. So uh, where the fuck do we begin? <laughs> I know I was thinking about that. But, um, yeah, so the first place we ended up going was Abydos. Abydos. Mm-hmm. And um, that even just getting to Abydos was a slog. It was a slog <laughs> and it was. It was a real culture shock for me as well. And as you know, when I was there, I had the worst headache as soon as we got into the temple. And I just, yeah, my head was like sore in a place it's never been sore before. It was not a cluster headache. It was just kind of right smack bang in the middle of my head. and. I had no idea what was going on and then about you know two-thirds of the way into the tour the guide said that this was where Osiris's head was found Mm -hmm. when he was uh, his body was cut up into 14 pieces and scattered along the Nile and I was like oh my gosh 
that was my head. <laughs> I've been losing my head and I'm am I finally finding my head again? So do we want to do we want to find our heads? I don't know. Oh it's kind of <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like losing your mind and finding it again. Mm. You had a very visceral experience of Egypt, which I did is so curious because in other places that I've journeyed, Egypt for me was kind of this like final installment of a pilgrimage that I know I've been on since 2018. And 2018 was my like kind of womb awakening. I I've shared this story on the podcast. I've shared it freely on social media. I, I was pregnant and I went through a termination and that just cracked open this like whole world. I was already in the feminine embodiment and, you know, mindfulness and yoga and all that space, but holy shit, it was another cracking open into the dark feminine, like mm. the dark mother. And so I journeyed that year to Glastonbury. And as, as we know, it's like the heart and, you know, the mysteries of Magdalene and all these amazing things. And then I knew that Uluru would be next. And I kept trying and forcing. Mm-hmm. And obviously that took years. That was 2022 that I finally got to Uluru. And I knew that this final piece was Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so now looking back, I'm like Egypt kind of felt very um, masculine to me. If I want to <clears throat> like make that as simplified as possible, if if Glassery was the feminine and the heart and the womb and then Uluru was like this blending place, the desert felt very like both and. Uluru and Katajuda have like masculine and feminine energies, which was very visceral for me. Egypt wasn't that for me. So I'm so curious, like, why, why do you think you experienced this on such a body level? And like, what other things did you go through? Yeah. So after Abydos, I started having really bad stomach cramps, but these stomach cramps weren't the usual kind that I've had before. Um, These were more like contractions and they were happening at pretty standard intervals so they were happening every half an hour or every hour or in the worst part every 15 minutes and it was interesting because the contractions really came to a head when we were in the Karnak temple precinct when we had the segment days later so the second days later yeah um because I was having cramps for quite a few days they started around um pretty much after Abydos and then we went to Dendera Mm -hmm. And then Abydos was quite dark. I'm just going to preface a few little details about these differentiating temples because you might not have ever heard of these before. I know for me, I've like watched and listened to Graham Hancock and, you know, explored so many documentaries and National Geographic articles. And yet still, I feel like the mystery is so broad with Egypt that Abydos wasn't something that was like fresh in my mind. I wasn't like, yeah, I want to go there. Mm. And when we got there, there was, there was this like, I don't know, like a weightiness in the air. It felt quite dark. It felt quite dense. I was ecstatic just to be at a temple, like in full-blown awe. But even where we were staying, right, there was like a quality of discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was also like 47 degrees Celsius. Like it was it was hot. It was hectic. But um, yeah, so I'm just prefacing that with like the first temple kind of had this not underworldly, but there was something, mm. there was just something off. I think, yeah, it's interesting looking at Abydos in hindsight because it was the first temple we went into, so I didn't have anything to compare it to yet. For sure. Um, and so 
when we were there, the guide said, uh, it has a very strong masculine energy. And I was like, oh, okay. And I really only had a reference point for that when we went to Dendera and that was very feminine Mm -hmm. and I could just feel how different it was. And so Abydos was interesting in that something awakened in me when I saw the first hieroglyph. As soon as we were walking up the stairs and I saw the first hieroglyph on my left-hand side on a broken piece of column, there was it was almost like the whole cells of my body remembered and something was awakened at that moment which... I've carried through ever since and it's just this remembrance of a past life in Egypt and kind of coming back almost as like a human sage stick and just clearing the the darkness that happened to me in that past life because that past life was pretty traumatic for me um and so and that was something I didn't really think of until the very end of the trip so I I didn't really go to Egypt with with an intention of healing through timelines. That was just something that kind of happened and I thought about it towards the end. And, yeah, Abydos was very, even the temple itself, it's very square. It's very straight edges. It's very masculine, whereas Dendera and even the other temples kind of are more of like like the... The sides aren't straight up and down. They they slant inwards and there's just a bit more nuance to the structure and the overall shape, whereas Abydos was like this kind of block. It was like a block, exactly. And it was interesting going at the back and seeing that part that was with the flower of life Mm. um, laser etched into the wall thousands and thousands of years before allegedly the laser was invented so it's it's crazy that um I mean they say that history really kind of just repeats itself it loops around everything's kind of invented but when it's invented it's really just rediscovered Mm. so it's kind of like when we say someone invented the laser they really just rediscovered it because that technology that capability has always existed and you know people would have used that in ancient Egypt as well. And I really believe that the hieroglyphs, I don't know if this is something you noticed, but they were perfect every single time. There was no mistake ever. Everything was so smooth and so immaculately carved that I just, I just know it wasn't. Years later, like, what the fuck? I just know it wasn't done with like a hammer and a screwdriver or a hammer and a nail situation. They would have had some form of carving tool or did that in a way that the technology today would come nowhere near. Mm-hmm. Um, the mysteries, right? That's what's so rampant and rife. And it's funny in Egypt because obviously when you go to these ancient structures and places and it's not just Egypt they exist all over the world you've also got this really fascinating overlap of the current culture with the existing land and then Mm. also the the buildings the architecture the 
the ceremonial spaces. So there's kind of these three worlds happening and colliding into one. And for me, the whole trip was kind of this psychedelic experience where (laughs) it was multi-layered all the time. And I was really rooted in my, I guess, humanity. I felt very um, kind of grounded and centered the whole time. I didn't really have an intention either. I feel like for our whole group, really, there was not much of a strong clear I like literally did my intentions that that Lara had set like at the airport in Dubai as I was getting onto the plane I'm like I have not thought about this I just know that I need to go and as you said like I'm going to receive something that I'm not expecting anyway so why even try and be in control of this Mm -hmm. um and so all those layers interacting together not only experiencing it viscerally in your physical form but you know that there's something kind of multi-dimensional happening too so let's come back to your contractions what ended mm-hmm. up happening there and what yeah what what did you receive from that and also what the experience itself was like it sounds like birth yeah I really felt like I was kind of giving birth to the next version of myself and it really um was heightened when I was making the offering to Sekhmet of um so we made these offerings to Sekhmet where in a long piece of string we tied a knot for every single wound or every single limiting belief or every single thing in our past that we wanted to let go of and the next day when we went to Karnak temple we gave that offering to Sekhmet so when I did that experience and gave that to Sekhmet it was extremely emotional for me because it was the first time in my life I was giving over kind of what I felt to be all my burdens, which I've carried for so long, and giving it to someone who was actually going to help me with them. Because for so long in my life, I felt like I've had to do everything on my own. And anytime I had tried to turn to someone like a partner or a parent or someone, no one's ever really wanted to help me and so I've just felt really alone in kind of an unsafe world for a really long time and when Lara was explaining to us that our offerings actually nourish Sekhmet and to give to her your wounds actually nourishes her and benefits her and she actually wants to receive them I was just that was just really really incredibly moving for me because I just had all this stuff that I'd been carrying around and not knowing what to do with it. I just didn't know how to even begin processing or integrating or healing these parts of me that so needed healing for such a long time. And it was kind of like the first time I really felt it was okay to ask for help and to actually give my problems over to someone else and even though that's not really what what I was doing just the the emotional experience of maybe maybe I don't have to carry this all on my own was just really really healing for me and I think once I whenever I have any sort of ailment I always think of like the spiritual meaning Mm -hmm. for it because I feel like as soon as I work out what it's here to teach me it will go. Shout out Louise Hay. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I was like, oh, stomach cramps. Okay. Is it 
Am I not able to digest something? Mm. Um, am I giving, trying to give birth to a different version of myself? Does something want to be birthed through me? Um, it was kind of like I was thinking about all these things and ultimately I think what I was finding hard to digest was the culture shock of Egypt. And you described it as being quite masculine and the culture there is, the tradition there is that the men work. So Egypt really is a country of men to we me because we didn't see, we didn't see barely any women. Because the airports, the, the cafes, the transport, the temples. We saw there was one female guard at one temple. And I remember looking at her and giving her this like nod of like, oof, you're holding it down, lady. Yeah, because it's like the men were the ones out on the street. They were the ones serving us. They were, they were the ones working everywhere. It was it was the men working. Um, and so my experience as a tourist was really interfaced with the men only. And so in a way, Egypt was like this beautiful masculine container kind of holding us welcoming us and allowing us to be in our feminine expression and experience and receive what Egypt has to give us through this beautiful, strong container. And so, yeah, I totally echo those sentiments of it having a very masculine energy about it. And one of our ceremonies we did, the sigil craft, which was a manifestation technique, I would say, that I actually hadn't done before. I hadn't created a sigil in this way, which was so powerful because I actually didn't put this together until I was chatting with Lara that I created that within like a week of coming home and I haven't mm. even fully celebrated or acknowledged that, which is crazy because it didn't come in the way that I was projecting it to come, right? Mm. It came in a way that was different. Um, <laughs> there's flies hovering around our rose spiked cacao because they're coming to the feminine um so in this sigil craft workshop we really discovered that pretty much half the group were single women desiring divine partnership and union and that was fascinating because obviously if it's taking up that much energy in the individual it's also in the group collective and then as a group consciousness that's what we're bringing to every experience, every restaurant, every temple, you know. And uh, for me, that wasn't something I was going in to create or to receive. I was journeying, you know, a dissolution of my most recent ending of a relationship, but really coming into my own king, my own masculine energy. And I loved that finding that out in that ceremony, we could identify that that's really what we were doing as a group was healing and restoring the feminine via being taken care of by the masculine because mm. I think so many of us uh, you know when we're wanting to do this work we we lean towards the feminine practices and the the feminine kind of flavored stuff like the women's circles and the being with women and the doing the like I don't know self-pleasure or self-care baths all that kind of stuff getting in more contact with our body, which is also beautiful, but without a tangible reference point that the masculine and men can be healthy, can be devotional, can be kind. 
you know, what's the fucking point? Like if we don't actually have an experiential um, taste of what it means to be taken care of. And for me, I know for sure that trip was a divine experience of the masculine. Like Mm. we had so many super positive experiences with men that I don't think I've had in such a condensed amount of time anywhere ever. Oh, me neither. Yeah. And we were just so held and so loved and cherished. (laughs) Yeah. And it was so interesting that our two, two of our guides were male and they were just two of like the most, they were so different in personality, but they was just two of the most divine and masculine men. Mm -hmm. And there's this, kind of this idea that the masculine is toxic but masculinity itself is not toxic it's an expression of it because in both um masculine and feminine energies there's the positive expression and the negative expression mm-hmm. same with every zodiac sign you can express it positively or you can express it negatively and so i think it was kind of healing both the masculine and feminine energy within me but also allowing my feminine to see that the divine masculine does exist yes because for me it was kind of like I'm experiencing this for the first time I I'm experiencing what it is to see the divine masculine want to give to me and want to support me and want to hold me because my whole life I've just felt like I don't want to burden. I need to I need to justify my existence. I need to prove that I'm worthy of being here by doing everything for everyone else and kind of performing my worth so people could see it. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe it was inherent in just who I am as a person. And so just having the experience of these men want to help me. And I think at one point of the trip, I was really kind of stressed out and kind of what I perceived to be annoying one of our guides. Cause I just, I'm like, when is this happening? When's that (laughs) happening? Uh, I just need to know. Yeah. (laughs) And I was uh, in my perspective, I was annoying the shit out of him. But he never, he never, ever even indicated like 1% that I was annoying. And, in fact, the next temple we went to, he asked for a photo with me. I'm like, why do you want a photo with me? I'm like the most annoying person on this trip. (laughs) And, like, it just dawned on me that he just wasn't annoyed by me asking for my needs to be met. And that just blew my mind. I was like, sorry, what? Does that exist? Am I needs okay to exist in the world? Am I okay to share my need with another who could potentially meet it? Because for so much of my life, whenever I have done that, the answer has always been not just no, but no and fuck you for asking. Or there's loaded with baggage or covert agreements and expectations and it's not this clean yeah. exchange. It's like, yes, you can have that, but only if you're a good girl, if you get straight A's, if you win at sport, if you do all these things. Suck my dick. Yeah. <laughs> then you can have this tiny thing that you are asking for. And so it kind of has 
fed this belief into my subconscious that I need to prove that I'm worthy of having my needs met. Mm. But, and that's the thing, and it's also coupled with me kind of not having, like not wanting to have any, so me kind of meeting my own needs. And so, yeah, it's kind of like the cycle of um, kind of coming in on myself and just like not letting anyone in on my world or what I need or who I am I'm just kind of guarding it all because I'm too scared for the world to even see who I am or what my needs are or you know how I need to be met in a relationship and so it was like this real opening up of that and letting my guard down and it was really vulnerable and really uncomfortable and but it kind of just blasted my heart open and you probably saw I cried a lot in the last couple of days when we had to say goodbye to them because I was like oh my god so much has come up just around this relationship I had with like these two two people who were acting as kind of tour guides and yeah and that was that wasn't even at temple and I had this massive initiation so it's kind of like initiation right yeah it's like the the container of Egypt it's like everything is part of the medicine journey it's like when you sit in ceremony everything's part of the ceremony everything even if a bird flies in and shits on your forehead or (laughs) you know everything's part of it and if you kind of see life as a ceremony and see everything that's happening as something that can teach you or something that just annoy you for the sake of being inconvenient yeah (laughs) yeah like you know what's the rude person at the shop teaching you is are they teaching you patience are they teaching you to give unconditional love when it's not earned or, you know, to gain a perspective of they could be going through anything and maybe what they need right now is just just some kindness Mm. and just even if it's seemingly undeserving because, you know, have you ever been nice to a person that was rude to you and then they were like, thank you, I really needed that. Mm. Like, you know, I think just everything is teaching you and that like Egypt was kind of like this really heightened incubator incubator yeah totally of this really intense spiritual and personal development and yeah it really kind of brought up all my wounds all my traumas everything to give me opportunities to heal them like you know on hyper speed I reckon yeah, like, because so many things were triggering. So many, even <laughs> even people within the group or whatever. Like you know, whenever you get a group of people together, there's always people, but they're they're just divine merits. Yes, you know um, how they say like the universe is testing me. It's like, well, also we understand that the universe is the externalization of your subconscious mind. Yeah. So it's not the universe testing; it's you testing you because you're a kinky bitch. Yeah. That loves to have the mirror, loves to have the trigger, and wants to activate this stuff in you so you can actually either feel it, move it, transcend it, change it, reprogram it, decide what other story you want to start playing out because you know it's and I and I think that trip was such a accelerator because it felt like we were gone three months. When I came back to Australia, I was mm. like, oh, my God, my family, I, I landed back in Melbourne to spend a week with my family. I'm like, they've just been doing life as per usual the last two mm. weeks. Like that goes like that, right? Mm. Meanwhile, you and I in the group have been through this fucking black hole of 
<laughs> of alchemy. Yeah. And it, yeah, how else can you, it's not something to tell, but something to show, mm. I feel. And yeah. that has been challenged for sure since my return. And I know we're, we're both getting tests, right? We're both getting these mm. like forks in the road to ask us, are you going to settle? Are you going mm. to go back? Or are you going to take this new road that feels a little weird, a little strange, a little unfamiliar, but exciting or a turn on because it's arousing you into the unknown, which is the whole point of transformations, the whole point as to why we're seekers and we go on pilgrimages like this, right? I had an ailment come up too, which I think I was a bit cocky about because the first maybe like four days, I just felt so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, you know, everyone's breaking down and having like these big cathartic moments or they're triggered. And there was a lot of that happening in the group, which again is expected in a trip like this or anytime that there's a group being brought together because yeah, it's like intensified, especially in a place like Egypt, when you've got the heat and people's dietary requirements and people out of routine and it's like Mm. oh my god we're all just children in bigger bodies (laughs) and I was kind of cruising I was I was good I was just so grateful to have made it I think there was this exhalation that holy fuck I actually got here after the nine months of the initiatory path of whether or not I I was going to come or not and then yeah pro- the first night on the Nile I I woke up with <laughs> a fucking sty on my right eye I've only ever had one sty before and it was <laughs> and I knew what it was about it was deeply connected to a breakup that I had before this one and around what that person um I guess symbolized it wasn't necessarily about that person but the style that I had back then, which was super new for me. I don't, I don't experience a lot of like physical. I'm very, very, very blessed in that way. So I was kind of like, what the fuck is happening to my face? Like my whole eyes blowing up. And so, you know, it's just over a year later and we're on the Nile and I wake up feeling great. I look in the mirror and I'm like, what the hell is going on? I've got a photo shoot in two days. Like what, (laughs) you know, you feel ugly. You feel not yourself. I've got this big red lump on my right eye and it's just getting bigger and bigger as the hours go by. And I did the same thing. I'm just like, I whipped out Google. I'm like, I've been here before. What's this Mm. about again? (laughs) It's like seeing through angry eyes, being angry at someone, um, directing anger at someone. I'm like, okay, it's on my right side. This is to do with a man. Mm -hmm. This is to do with masculine energy. And what I connected it to was a particular, (laughs) particular person on the trip reminded me of the person that triggered this a year ago, which reminded me of the greater community of so-called conscious men that fuck trigger the shit out of me because there's such a lack of integration and embodiment Mm. with the words they say or the things they teach and preach versus the actual expression. And I do think masculine energy has a lot of show, not Mm. tell, which we were then getting this, um, experience of with other men and other interactions with men whether that's the crew on the boat um the people in the village and their kindness the people serving us food all these men that you could feel a devotional respect mm-hmm. you could feel this absolute clean yeah it's energy, very clean right yeah and then you get these blokes in the west <laughs> 
that are like geared up with mala beads or tattooed mm. sacred geometry or they've got their fucking hair in a ponytail looking like a Viking. <laughs> Porsche's face right now is like, yeah, <laughs> we're on the Gold Coast. We are absolutely in a sea of them. And I've I've had a podcast before about like the problem with conscious men, right? And this this particular ailment, a fucking sty on my eye, led me to this ginormous exploration of how much resentment, hurt, rage I'm carrying toward the gender of men, Mm. which is kind of a big deal, (laughs) but especially more so in the quote-unquote conscious space, spiritual space. And so much of what I was ready to just truly give over as well to Sekhmet, give over to the fire of transmutation to be like, okay, I'm actually being really clearly shown here what I'm done with, like what I'm Mm. not going to fuck with anymore. The sensitivity and heightened awareness around a lack of embodiment and just letting that be rather Mm. than continually picking up my rage about because I Mm. love being righteous and Mm. I love being high and mighty you know Mm. and that cleared you know I had one of one of the tour guides Rafat do some Reiki on my eye which was absolutely gorgeous and amazing he's like this you know six foot tall like dad man Mm. (laughs) he's not someone you'd ever expect to do Reiki and he just called me over and was like would you like me to do some energy work on your eye like fucking all right let's go and Muhammad was like, okay, you're on the Muhammad diet now for the next few days. I noticed that you always go for the sugar. You always go for the bread. Like he was pre-diabetic. He's like, copy what I eat because your body's like going through something. And you, you, he could tell that I was like Mm. using food and using my, my habits to like soften the discomfort I was feeling. Mm. And so I had, again, these two men that were just so graciously and generously supporting me through something that I felt was ugly and hideous, you know, it, it literally altered my beauty and my like radiance in the world by <laughs> messing with my face. And that was just so profound to be like, mm. oh, my femininity, uh, as in my ability to receive love, to receive care and tenderness doesn't have to be presented with all of these other ways for me to get the love mm. and care right I don't have to earn it which I definitely yeah mirror you with that it's like how can I mold and manipulate myself in order to get the care mm. versus just being myself which at that moment had a, a giant <laughs> lumpy right eye <laughs> and isn't it beautifully ironic and such one ironic. of the yeah <laughs> ironic and such the universe's divine humor blueprint of you seeing men with angry eyes and it's two men that was helping you heal it yeah and of course then it went like the day of my photo shoot not there gone feeling back to my goddess radiant self again it was Mm -hmm. like let's do this in hyperspeed baby like we don't need to go into a giant process about this and like unpack it and analyze it it was just kind Kind of existing in correlation with my experience of the trip it didn't mm-hmm. completely derail me or pull me out or pull me inwards I was like this is happening at the same time as all this other stuff and I can hold it mm. like I don't need to be sucked and swept into the victimhood of it it was just this awareness of like okay mm. I, I found 
for me personally, Egypt was actually quite gentle in that way. And perhaps because I'd had such a railing mm. <laughs> in the preparation of it, mm. but it was like I'd cultivated that experience because I felt I didn't have to go through something so hard anymore. Yeah, so it's true. Like, I earned this shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. And it's funny that you say that because I had a similar experience with someone else on that trip who was mirroring someone that I dated from the quote conscious community who was just so so the opposite like in fact quite toxic and just dishonest and completely out of integrity and there was someone on that trip that kind of reminded me of them and they were triggering me because it's like yeah you can look the part but if your behavior and your words and your energy like who you are as a person doesn't match the exterior then you're it's just a costume Mm. like one of my friends refers to it as a costume like these men wear these spiritual costumes the the halloween costumes (laughs) for halloween Boshka sent me this this uh this meme the ghost one that that was crazy it was like an empty bag wasn't it and it was like ghosting like a ghosting fuckboy I, <laughs> I think I sent you one that was like spiritual meme a spiritual man costume and it was like marla beads but like toxic masculine <laughs> traits I see you <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then like yells at customer service representatives, <laughs> lives with their parents, yes. lives with abundance. Yes, yes. Ask me for money. Oh my gosh. Okay, I really want to talk about some of the magic because I know people. You know, obviously, it's not viable for everybody to go to Egypt, but I know that there's mm. so many people that are as obsessed with the rabbit hole and the. Mm the alchemy of Egypt as we are and we did get to experience so I'm so curious for you what what temple or what like stand out experience did you have that was one where you know you were totally interacting with mm. either the divine the netaru the the land yeah I'd just love to hear what one of those standout experiences was yeah the one that comes to mind first was um definitely the offering to Sekhmet at the Karnak temple because um before we even went into the room with Sekhmet you probably remember I was just bawling like I was and by the way it was like what four it was four o'clock in the morning we had so many guards around that were like putting their flashlights on their phone playing their ringtones talking loudly like it was a strange colliding of worlds because the guards are obviously trained to it's kind of obvious that they're protecting something really sacred. And then a huge bunch of people coming in with their like priestess get up and and caftans Mm. and crystals and shit are coming in to be like, we're here to do some magic. So there's this kind of intensified like spiritual warfare happening Mm. in a very small space. So it was, it was eerie almost to be at Karnak in Mm. in the nighttime and incredible because it's this huge sprawling temple city and mm. we're there by ourselves which is just such an absolute privilege um but please continue yeah so I was bawling my eyes out um when Lara was just explaining that you know segments here and she wants she wants to receive your burdens and it actually nourishes her like that's a that's the offering 
And I was just like bawling my eyes out. And like, I just felt like I'm getting emotional speaking about it. And Lara was like, you can just feel her like wrap her arms around you. And it was like one of the first times in my life I really felt held, like really felt held, like somewhat like a divine parent, like wrapping their arms around you and just saying like, give me your burdens. I'm here to help you with them. Let me help you carry them. They're not for you to carry. Like this mountain was never yours to carry. It was just yours to climb. And it was just this really profound moment that just kind of shifted the whole paradigm of how I saw my past and how I experienced my past and how my past was just living within me. And I feel like it was living in me unintegrated, like rocks in my backpack. And it it was kind of like at that moment, I gave the backpack of rocks over to her, but I got to keep the wisdom. Mm. So I just felt like 50 kilograms lighter and just felt like just so supported in that moment of there's someone else in this world who's, you know, here to help me. And it just felt so like I literally physically and I don't have the the sense that you feel like the I think it's clairvoyance is seeing I think it's clairsentience that's Mm -hmm, feeling mm -hmm. I don't usually have that but I just felt so almost like someone from the group was behind me giving me a hug but there was no one there it was just me and Lara in the Mm. in the chamber of segment and um yeah it was just this visceral feeling of feeling like I was being held and my shoulders just completely dropped from my ears and like all this tension that I, you know, my chronic back tension just kind of melted in that moment. And it's been very different ever since. Like I've always had back issues and since then it has changed quite significantly. So, yeah, she does. And it's so true how our sayings like shouldering burdens or, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Carrying the weight of the world on your shoulder. On your shoulder, exactly. You actually physically it's there in your tissues because as they say the issues the tissues hold the issues and Ooh, I haven't heard that one actually how yeah. have I been in this space for so long yeah the issues are in the tissue my mum loves to say motion is lotion oh that, that's a good one <laughs> to keep you moving one. yeah well someone said um a good way to change your mood is to change your element. So if you're feeling a lot of fire, go jump in the water. Mm. Or if you're feeling like you're in the watery emotions, go out into oh, air, good. fresh air, or you know something like that. So change your element, change your change your state of being. And so Karnak was it for me? Which one was? Is there a moment of magic that stood out for you? got a couple that are coming back to mind now because I do feel like I'm reaching into the archives being like fuck I forget so much of what happened and I'm so glad that I I captured stories every day because Mm. as a lot of our private ceremonies were really early in the morning you know there was probably half the time we were up at like two or three in the morning so the days just went for (laughs) so much longer time got really stretchy so I'm really like grateful that I I 
captured so much of that. It was for myself, right? I wasn't actively in my inbox. I was just sharing them for me so that I could come back to. And I actually haven't done that yet. So that might be a beautiful practice for me to sit with some cacao one night and just like literally watch all my stories from start to finish again. But a few, I guess, rapid fire moments were uh, we were at the Temple of Isis and this was a 4 a.m. ceremony we did, deeply feminine. Like, oh, my gosh, that that whole temple felt like oh, Venusian, Aphrodite, Greek goddesses laying around on shells with, like, birds flying around. It was just like chocolate. I fucking loved it. And there was cats everywhere. No other temple was there with that many cats. It was very slinky and feminine and delightful. And we had our ceremony which was, again, just such a huge privilege to be at the altar in the Holy of Holies inside the Temple of Isis. Like, what? We did that. That's fucking crazy. And toward the end of that, I literally felt a hand on my back. Like, I, I opened my eyes to look that I because I, I thought, like, Leslie next to me, like, placed her hand on me. And it it stayed. And it was this long touch of, yeah, like, I've got you, you're held because Isis Aset is like, you know, she's she's the winged goddess. She she does like wrap us up as well, right? And so mm. I really felt that. And then right as we were coming out of that ceremony, I thought it was so funny that the timing was always so on point. The light in the temple turned on as Lara was guiding us out. Do you remember that? Which mm. went, like high definition. We were all just like brought back into the light and it mm. was at the moment um but one I wanted to actually there's there's probably two I would like to share because I haven't told them to many people and I think they're they're definitely worthy of of sharing um oh the first one is on our second last day we finally got to Giza we stayed right beside the Giza plateau so we're we're in very close proximity to the pyramids and you can see them out our hotel room window right it was bananas and we did a was that a 2 a.m private ceremony at inside the great pyramid it was 3 a.m but we had to wake up, up at 2 a.m yeah mm-hmm. so we were back in bed before the sun even rose this day it was very like what is going on because then we were woke up again and like had breakfast and did a whole day as per usual just like wait what was that a dream so we come to the great pyramid which of course is like the crescendo of the trip it's the thing the great pyramid right the wonder of the world and there was all this build-up in the journey to getting there flying flying to Abydos journeying up the Nile for five days like taking another flight there was just so much we did to get to that point and as we entered into the Great Pyramid, we were all in silence. And, of course, you're going into a pyramid. Like, I understand logically that there's no air. It's going to be dark. But for some reason, I was surprised. I was like, why did no one tell me that this was going to be, like, steep and tight and claustrophobic? And I'm someone that kind of loves being claustrophobic. Like, I'm like, wrap me up, be all tight. Like, I'm kind of into that. And I was shocked as to how much fear it brought up in me as we journeyed inside the Great Pyramid because it, it was quite a steep climb. I'm a fit person, but that was like 
a, a steep incline and you're going up this tiny passageway where the walls feel like they're literally going to come in on you. Like that's what I was feeling the whole way as we journeyed up through the Great Gallery. It was like these walls are just going to decide to start moving like on those horror movies and just squish me. Like that's, mm. ooh, it was weird. And we went up into the king's chamber, which, again, what a fucking privilege that we got to do this because it's not open. Is it open to the public during the daytime? I can't imagine doing that with the amount of people that go through. I think it might be, but it's one of those things where, like, as you said, the stairway up is so, so narrow and steep that you just wouldn't be able to experience the the experience that mm. we had like mm. that was that the, was the lack of other energies that were there you know we were on the Giza mm. plateau both of those mornings alone mm. the final day we were at the sphinx and also had a private ceremony so we got to do this without the public around which when we returned during the day is obviously a very different scene it's it's full of camels and sellers and yeah, people it's very and tourist and it's, it's yeah that energy gets kind of um diluted yeah diluted and like a clogged wi-fi signal almost is what i felt during the day versus the night the night had this mystery in the air and really special magical quality that the veil was definitely thinner and as we got into the king's chamber there's it's quite a small room high ceilings no hieroglyphs or anything like that you're kind of in this you're in the center of the fucking great pyramid. Like what the hell you're in like a, a womb and everything's square. And there's this sarcophagus, which I think they said would have been like 30 tons or something. Like mm-hmm. it's this huge sarcophagus of Ramses the third. Was it? I believe. Oh, I'm not sure. Which we also visited his tomb days before in the Valley of the Kings. So it was all these dots were connecting in multiple times, times of the trip. Right. And it's empty. And through our ceremony of activating the voice, because the Great Pyramid is said to be the the throat chakra of the earth, Odna, uh, a guest facilitator, led us through this voice activation where we're making noise, we're singing, we're chanting, we're we're being loud and we're kind of uh, unshackling our, our vocal cords through kind of letting ourselves be kids again, I guess. And even that in itself is deeply vulnerable. It's It can bring up stuff, of course. As a group, you can kind of lose yourself in the group. But one by one, at the end of that part, we were invited to lay in the sarcophagus alone. And she was timing us for two minutes because obviously time is weird. And it truly felt when I laid in there that I was in there for 15. Like it just, I fell mm. through fucking, I don't know, portals. and. One by one, we just intuitively stood and we climbed into the sarcophagus. We laid down with our backs and had Odna, you know, use her voice and her instruments. We had one of the guys from the tour use, we even call that like a symbol. So there was multiple noises happening and the the acoustics in the room, you can imagine, just phenomenal. Lara's mm-hmm. there kind of guiding and not using any words, but just holding down the space. and. Each of us had the opportunity to share our voice and allow our real voice to come mm-hmm. through, which I've like 
done a bit of singing. I sing on Instagram. It's It has felt like a big deal in the past, but I've sang in front of people. But no matter what, like it's a vulnerable thing to do to be like, oh, what's going to come out here? Is it going to sound good? Is it going to be weird? What's going to happen? And as I laid down, I immediately like was just thrust into this ancient body like my body was overlaid with all of the bodies of my female line all my ancestors female bodies it was like I was experiencing them all at one time it was full-on like I was on medicine or a psychedelic I and it was uncomfortable it's like I was Frankenstein right like made up of all these different body parts of all these different people that I knew still lived in me and in myself because I came from them like think about you know just your parents right there's your two ancestors and then their parents that's four ancestors your grandparents and it goes on and on and on and it's like oh my god you can't even think about how many people were before you to make up you Mm. and in that sarcophagus in the king's chamber I was experiencing that whole female line So when my voice opened, there was grief there. There was like all this sadness and pain and it almost felt like this like moaning myrtle vibes. There was sweetness and it was soft, but it was laced with pain. And then I felt this eros click in, like my pussy was like, woof, I'm here. And there was this shockwave of eros that ran through my body and erotic energy. And I, I could not stop myself with my hands running all over my body, like over my breasts, over my throat, like touching me, grabbing me as if it was someone devouring me. And I was mm-hmm. like, there was this conscious part of me that's like, wow, Lara and Odna are watching me do this right now. And that's probably pretty weird because I don't think anyone else would have had such a like a sexual experience Mm. in the sarcophagus but I was like dripping in erotic energy kundalini rising oh and it was Mm. it cancelled out all that pain and made me realize that so often when we're healing we're focusing on what needs to be fixed and focusing on what traumas we've inherited and it was like The whole room was filled with my feminine line being like, remember our pleasure. Like, don't you dare forget how much we also loved, how much we also, you know, enjoyed and took delight in parts of life. And my voice just got loud. Like it was the loudest, biggest singing, I guess you could say, like noises that were coming out of me that I think I've ever allowed myself to do and I felt myself like bust through all of those bodies that felt like cages and armor and they just kind of went into this like freedom and liberation of of my eros of my expression of my creativity and it was just ecstatic (laughs) so ecstatic and so freeing and when I was kind of, I think Lara maybe like, I can't even remember half the shit we did because you're just in these altered states. But when I was guided to like prepare to come out and I'm just laying there like, oh shit, I've taken up so much time. Like I've been in here 15 minutes. It's like, I got out and it's like, nope, two minutes has passed. Mm. And 
I love when we're reminded of that time collapse because that's truly when we enter into the quantum. Like, Mm. again, what I drive home with healing is like you don't need to make a three-day process out of this. You can can be the alchemist so quickly and that was just such a reference point reminder for me that Mm. I have the the capacity to do that as well. Mm, That's so cool and how... um how healing sexual energy is and how yeah it can really just I hate using the word quantum leap but it can heal us on a in a way that is quantum that is not that you know the the amount of healing exceeds the amount of in like the output exceeds the amount of input it's not linear it's not logical it's not Mm -hmm. um this kind of equation where you you add one thing in and you get one thing out it's kind of like this cauldron of magic that yeah you can use your sexual energy to heal you and I think that's one of the things that I think helps all women and the feminine line because when you were describing your story it was almost like all these women were kind of saying you need to like we weren't heard we tried to speak. We weren't heard. You're being heard, so you need to speak for us. Yeah, sing for us. Yeah. I think that's ultimately the technology that ancient Egypt gives us too because, as we learn, there is so much sex magic and sexuality that's imbued into the teachings and the history, and that's kind of a part that I guess is missed a lot of the time mm. because we're focused on, you know, the architecture and hieroglyphs and and the statues, which is so profound as well. But especially as we were all operating in this, how can we experience the divine masculine? For me, Mm -hmm. I was really tapped into the word king and king Mm -hmm. energy and becoming my own king because I know that I will be looking for my king. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready yet and I want to be alone for a while, but I knew that ultimately that's where I'm headed to, right? Mm -hmm. And so how who am I to call in a king without first meeting him in myself Mm. and I just think it was really fucking cool to have an experience like that inside Mm. the king's chamber Mm. because down down when you journey back down to go outside um there was the queen's it was Mm. called the queen's chamber too right and Aisha and I literally couldn't find it like there was only one other doorway we could not find it and we we left the pyramid and was like wait where where even was that like it wasn't it our, our conscious mind could not even pick up where the passageway was wow did, did you go in it yeah I went in it um <laughs> it completely. yeah I went in it because it was like literally as you come down the stairs it was like the it was like the room under the staircase yeah right to the king's chamber and um visually it looked quite similar to the king's chamber in that it was just a um square essentially a square room with no hieroglyphs um it didn't have a psycho psycho psychophagus <laughs> in it <laughs> um and it was also under construction so <laughs> it, the, it was, the Egyptians didn't finish that one <laughs> well I think they were doing reparations to it but yeah you know what I mean um so <laughs> I'll be right back Whereas, yeah, and it was kind of a bit of a, um, like a um, bit of an anticlimax going into the Queen's Chamber because I was like, oh, I've got the king, king energy. I'll go channel some queen energy. And it just felt very, um, 
like vacant, whereas the king's energy felt very, like there was a lot of presence there and potentially because we were there. We were there as a group. But the queen's chamber, my eyes doing a thing. Um, The queen's chamber... (laughs) was just it's my left eye too I was like what voice I say about this <laughs> twitching yeah my left eye was twitching um but when I went into the queen's chamber it was it's almost like it was dead like there was like I didn't feel an emptiness there was an emptiness there and um that that I was also trying to think well what does that mean and when I went there, I just put my forehead against the wall and kind of just tried to channel what messages were there for me. And it was like, you already embody your queen energy. Mm. You're looking for it outside of yourself. You you came into this chamber thinking, oh, I'll get my queen energy from here, but it's already inside of you. And so I kind of just imbued the walls with my own you know, queen energy and in reverence and in offering for the the queens of the time. And, yeah, it was just really interesting to get that message of, you know, because I'm like, I must go to the king's chamber to get the king energy or the offering from the king or whatever. And that's the thing, like, even, like, physically going to Egypt was, I think, important for me. Um but it's kind of like one of those things. It's like I just have to remember that Egypt's inside of me now, like the codes, the the frequencies, the healings. Like, yes, Egypt exists as a place out there, but I have what I need. And I took, ex- like, I received exactly what I needed. And, yeah, I think that message for me when I went into the Queen's Chamber was not externalising my power. Mm. Which kind of comes full circle moment back to you sharing about your Saturn return and that reclamation, you know. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's funny having those full circle moments. Um, But what was the other experience that you found? The Temple of Horus, which came as a surprise because, as I said, I was kind of pretty good. And by good, I just mean like, I didn't have any dramatic or cathartic or super deep experiences those first few days. I was just cruising and kind of like almost waiting to be <laughs> demolished or something. Mm. I was like, is is Egypt going to like jump out at me and be like, ah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, is it just the build up and it's going to come and yeah. annihilate you at like, some point? Is there point? like a mummy going to come out and scare me? I uh, I used to play Goosebumps. Did you, can, did you ever play Goosebumps? I read as- books. Um, primary school, we had it on our computers. It was a computer game. Oh, okay. And there's this terrifying part where literally you're like crawling through a tunnel. I think I probably said this in one of the <laughs> one of the tunnels too, when we were already having a moment of like, wow, this is tight or this is a bit scary. And you'd look behind you in the game and a mummy would be crawling after. Oh like it was <laughs> horrific. I would have nightmares about it because it was like grade four, we would play this shit. Anyway, so that came to mind a little bit throughout Egypt. I'm just like, yeah, you're going to sneak up on me and just like, I don't know, really take me through the ringer. Um, It was that other shooter drop kind of feeling, which that never happened. But the Temple of Horus was, was that the name of it or was there something else? It was where, because I took a photo of Edfu, that's right. 
that was originally where I wanted to have my photo shoot and then it, that didn't happen and I was navigating my sty situation and and two days later we went to the temple of the elder Horus mm, Kamambo Kamambo so that's where I ended up having my photo shoot so there was this Horus story that played out for me and I didn't really have a connection to Horus which is the falcon-headed god before this trip I was aware of him um but on this particular day we as we walked through there was just this intensity that I felt of the temple itself like some shit had gone down there almost there was a bigness and there was this room to the left as we first journeyed in and Plathath was talking about you know the hieroglyphs and telling the stories and I just couldn't get my mind off this room where the light was flickering it was very spooky do you remember can you remember that um it was like a horror movie because you're seeing just the archway right and then there's this darkness and a light uh, flickering and it was it was weird and I just knew I was like oh I'm avoiding that like it Mm -hmm. felt dark I made Mm -hmm. a conscious decision that I wasn't going to go into that room Mm -hmm. And so after we'd kind of done our little tour and we had, you know, 45 minutes or whatever to explore by ourselves, I decided to put my headphones in to really go in, which is what I did quite often. I wanted to feel it on another level and and kind of separate myself from the physical plane and, and the noises and the people. And as soon as my Bluetooth headphones go in, it's like I put a force field up. It's like me at the gym too. I'm just in my own universe. So I played the soundtrack of the movie Dune which I've never seen. One of the other girls recommended it to me the night before. It's um, it's a Hans Zimmer soundtrack, which Interstellar is like my favourite movie and Hans Zimmer does that one too. So I've been listening to a little bit of that music, which is quite cosmic and celestial and futuristic, whereas June was, uh, it's set in the desert. So it's got this real like earth, dust, war, Mars energy. And the first thing that happened when I put those headphones in was go to the room. I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want it. That's scary. <laughs> and I'm a courageous person. I don't know why. I just had such a, res- I was like visceral fear mm-hmm. channeling through my body. I do not want to go into that room. It feels like it's full of fucking entities that are going to connect to me or something. Like mm-hmm. there was just the avoidance. So Instead, I kind of got taken on this little journey. I just stood listening to the music, looking at the walls and would wait for my next instruction. And it's like Horus was flying me around the, the, the temple in different areas of the space to get the next message, like this treasure hunt. Mm. And so he guided me over to the first front corner where we stopped and there was the penis hieroglyph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I got over there and I'm just standing there, like staring at this dick on the wall, just like this dick's thousands of years old. Like this is hilarious. And I was having a bit of a chuckle to myself and being like, why am I here? And the message was like, you want king energy? Here's king energy. And I was like, ooh, ooh, okay. What's happening here? So I'm just receiving that and feeling the like penetrative, uh, not forceful, but like big energy of that big dick energy big dick energy and that once that was over it was it was right next to the room with the flickering light so it was like yeah you want king energy be a king go to where 
your feet you fear and do it anyway and as soon as I walk into the flickering light room and I'm feeling this fear of like I don't know being a kid and being afraid of ghosts like it was it was very present for me I immediately sat in the corner and there was like this little nook and I curled up and felt like a child like got as small as possible and just sat and realized that there's nothing to be afraid of aside from feeling fear like we're not afraid of bungee jumping I'm afraid of what I'm going to feel before bungee jumping Mm. bungee jumping so fun I'm not afraid of jumping out of the plane I'm afraid of the fear I'm going to feel in my body on the journey up both of those things I've done multiple times and it's like yeah it's so fascinating and Mm -hmm. I was thinking about all of these things in my life that require a new level of courage that require me to be the king in my business in my finances in my role and responsibility of who I am in my community and the fear of that I'm like oh it seems hard Mm. I don't really want to do that it seems exhausting and how that's like my little girl you know that Mm. needs to be matured into this if I want to hold what I want to hold and I want to receive what I want to receive especially down the line through a man to make contact with that energy in myself so that was really profound just to sit with that fear and then notice it's dissipating and then all of a sudden I got a hand to my back pushing me up it's like someone literally lifted me up out of the seat and through that room where the light's flickering and it's all paranormal and strange there was this other little doorway to a staircase that didn't go outside there was a gate did you Mm -hmm. go up there Mm -mm. which I wouldn't have seen if I didn't go in the room Mm -hmm. it was the only staircase in the whole temple Mm -hmm. and I took my shoes off and the music was intensifying it was like building you know I'm like, great, this is perfect for journeying up a staircase. And as I started to take the steps really slowly and feel my feet, I was just one by one, like taking, there was this thing happening with my armor. It wasn't like I was taking it off or putting it on. It was just this acknowledgement of my armor and Mm -hmm. that it all served a purpose, not Mm -hmm. that I was, you know, oh, your armor's shielding yourself from something. It's like, no, this particular armor is actually very much in support of protecting you. And I could feel my sword and I could feel all these like weapons on me as I'm taking step by step, just being like, holy fuck, there is is a warrior in me and I could feel the power of that. And the staircase went into the light into outside but there was a gate um like a a mesh door that you couldn't get through to go outside so that was about two-thirds of the way up Mm -hmm. so once I got to that door and I could see the other third of the staircase on the other side of this physical block like I couldn't go any further I heard this voice the, the final third is not physical So we think as like the king, at least in my experience, it's like very physical, you know, there's, there's this body physicality action, um, getting after it, being strong, growing your muscles, you know, being tough, all those kinds of things. And the voice was like, the final third is psychic. The Mm. final third is energetic. Like, who are you without all of that? Mm. And that felt very visceral as well as like a recognition that underneath the doership 
especially in the masculine expression, because that's what we think masculine is, there's this stillness of consciousness of that king that is courageous even in restraint and the experience of holding, right, rather than exerting. Uh, yeah, it was just a whole fucking journey. There was more that happened on that in that temple, but um, those were a few of the pieces that just, <laughs> it was literally just being taken around. Like I was on a tour with Horace. Mm. And he's just like, come, let me show you this now. Let he me show you this tour, now. Tour guide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some things that I just, I totally forget and I, I can't remember that happened and I know that they're in there somewhere, but yeah, what a wild time. Mm. Truly mm. wild. Yeah. So what else did we even do? I know. Oh my God. I mean, there was lots of dancing. This, yeah. <laughs> this, lots, oh, of yeah. Tahini, lots of tahini and molasses. Yeah. <laughs> We did the Tree of Life. Oh, my God, yeah. Sphinx. I talked about that with Lara and the Sphinx too. Yeah, the Sphinx um, was a real highlight for me. I really enjoyed that ceremony and I found that that was probably one of the deepest that I went into when I was physically there in the um, Akashic Records meditation. Yes, that was I, super cosmic, wasn't Yeah, it? that was really cool. Um, yeah, that's when you were getting lots of downloads, wasn't it? I was gone. Yeah. I was which is so cool because I don't have that experience much anymore. And mm-hmm. I feel like in my in like the early days of my uh, awakening, like 17, 18, 19, 20, I was like very, very much chasing those ecstatic highs and mm-hmm. the take me out into the cosmos kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. And having a lot of those experiences, like I was, my psychic channel was like very turned on, but it was scary. It was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so as I matured my spiritual practices I guess I was very much more boundaried mm-hmm. with what I was allowing in and so I think when I was in Egypt I wanted to crack that down a little bit and mm-hmm. and be like okay what's actually here in these senses beyond and it was so fun to have to have those moments again where I'm mm-hmm. like oh wow I lost time and I was like on another plane <laughs> Oh, yeah, I feel like I was in Egypt for three months. Totally. But it was three weeks. (laughs) And, um, yeah, the desert at the end, I went to Siwa for um, I think five or six days at the end and that was meant to be an integration but it was just as intense (laughs) as the other two weeks. And, again, so much of my stuff came up. It just kept coming up for, you know, the opportunity to heal and to integrate and to, you know, get to another level of myself. And, yeah, it it was really good for that, but it wasn't an integration. So, and when I landed, I I didn't actually have jet lag, but I was catching up on three weeks of sleep. Yeah. And you and I were messaging. We, like, weren't falling asleep until 3 a.m. Yeah. And so even though I had literally on the way back, slept when it was night time back here, it almost like didn't matter. And it was like if the universe wanted me to have jet lag, I was going to have jet lag whether I liked it or not. And I was like wired at all hours of the night Um, and, yeah, sleeping during the day. And, yeah, it took me a good week just to sleep it off and try and get my sleep 
patterns and then probably took me about three weeks to actually get my sleep pattern back to yeah, the normal rhythm, which never happened. Me too. Yeah, I never get to like that. trying to keep us up into that time of night. Yeah, where, where it was quiet and yes. still and we could actually integrate. And when I finally realized that that was what was happening, I was like, all right, I'll just turn the light on and I'll start journaling. And then it was kind of finally when I started doing that that I could actually fall asleep properly. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I feel like we could talk forever about this. I know. My hotspot is uh, my phone is starting to die and I do not want to lose this episode, so we're going to have to wrap up. But, oh, it was just 11 11 Yeah, <laughs> Oh, oh my god. god, hashtag cliche spiritual girl. <laughs> <laughs> like everything that makes us cringe. Yeah. We do too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just been so fun to talk yeah, about this. And great. I truly think that there's like an ins- another installment where I get my disposable camera film printed and I get to be like, okay, so this is actually what we did. Like there was so many other things like totally. going into the village and dancing on the Nile and swimming in the Nile and staying in bougie ass hotels that you were living mm. your best life in. Yeah. So many that things. That was amazing. Like, how- <laughs> when we went to the bar and we had both got like, we asked for one shot, but we both got about three shots and we just six bucks. Mm. Yeah. Like, well, Egyptian whiskey, like. Yes, please. That was so fun. And yeah, just those kind of moments in between were just as special as some of the the temples and everything. So yeah. Absolutely. My Turkish coffee made with the crew on the boat. That mm. was like, oh my God, blew my head off because I don't usually drink caffeine. <laughs> he would watch me every morning, like do my little sachet of decaf before you speak coffee. Oh yeah. That I took with me and I would you know, I'd sit and I'd light my incense and I'd have my little ritual and one of the crew members would just watch me every morning and I would, like, stare at him back, just like, what are you looking at? And finally he pulled me over, I think, on the last day. He's like, come on, let me show you a real coffee, basically. I'm mm. paraphrasing because he couldn't really speak English, mm. but it, that was the energy. And, uh, oh, cardamom coffee. Mm. Did you have one? No. It was, like, it was almost thick. It was, like, yeah. bitter. Oh, my God, blew my head off, like, yeah. Send me to space, but that's so funny. It was so good. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, they were so nice. The the Egyptian people that we interacted with, they're just such kind, amazing people. Yeah. We had lots of singing, lots of dancing. Mm. Absolutely incredible experience. And so, so grateful that we were able to make it happen and to connect. Yeah. And here we are. So here we are. Here we are. And it's only getting better. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. I'm sure it won't be the last time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lessons from Earth School. If you loved this episode, please leave a review on Spotify or iTunes and check out the show notes for more information on where to find us. See you in another episode.